sorted into three piles. What were the three piles? Three different materials. 714-545-2071. And we're not going anywhere, by golly, so somebody better call and say, hi, we're having a good time. If not, we can always play a show. We can always stand on our head. We could do that. We can play magic. We could do that. Patricia and I can play chess and cards. We could do that. You know? Oh, I came across something. Um, Adolf Hitler played chess. This is one of the mindless pieces of information. Uh-huh. I, didn't, I didn't copy this one. But he was a chess player, mm-hmm. and he always took the white side. You know, there were black, right. black pieces and white pieces, and they, they go against each other. He always took the white pieces. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> at the outset, and I guess nobody argued with him, mm-hmm. he would trade in one of his bishops for an extra queen. Mm-hmm. Now, the queen can move in any direction, yep. any number of spaces, as long as it's a clear path, yep. and can take any piece off the board as long as it's in the queen's way. Mm-hmm. So when you have two queens, you're virtually guaranteed of a win. I mean, you'd, you'd really have to be playing with your head in a box in order to lose if you've got two queens. But that was he always took the white side, and he always had two queens and one bishop instead of two bishops and one queen. Hello, Who is this? You're on air. Oh, this is, uh, is this adorable? This is irascible. How are you? Oh. <laughs> I just knew you wouldn't let us down. How are you, Nolan? I'm great. I, I, you're celebrating my birth year. I had to had to call. 1942. Uh, yeah. Oh wow, that's cool. What? When is your birthday? January 12th. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. My aunt celebrated her birthday on the 12th, so you're in All good right. company. Yeah. You know who I share a birthday with as well? Let me think. The 12th. No, who? Rush Limbaugh. Uh huh. And Howard Stern. People who made it in so, radio. Well, you've got all the bases covered here. One extreme to the other, isn't it? I know. Thank you. And Don't. all three of you were in broadcasting. Yes. You are. Uh, you you keep the center line solid. That's right. Get too bad you haven't earned as much money as either those two guys know him, but. Isn't that for sure? <laughs> my goodness. I put Howard uh, Rush on. I think one of the first affiliates in Kentucky. Oh wow. On our station up there, and it was a. Uh, Wise choice. Did you know he was going to be an instant hit? D- did I know? Yeah. Um, I had listened to him on uh, occasion and, and really thought that he was unusual. And, and uh, I, I would like to say I did, but I don't think I was that wise. I, yeah. I knew he was being picked up all around the country, and so we got on the bandwagon. Yeah, he was. It's definitely a phenomenon. I mean, was there much talk radio in the Kentucky, Florida area back in the uh, 60s and 70s? I mean, or was that sort of a phenomenon when Rush hit the uh, national air? You know, I'm trying to think what, uh, as you were saying that, would be the first time I heard talk radio. And I think, uh, when I was in Miami in the the early uh, or late 60s. Right. And Larry King was uh, on overnight right. in those days, and Sally Jesse Raphael was in that market too. And so I was hearing it locally. Were they on? Were they on a talk station, or really were they pretty much music during the day or news during the day? And he and they had their own slots. Yeah, it was uh, music in the daytime. Uh huh. 
and this was uh, late night, overnight, that sort of thing. Right. And Larry, somebody vacationed in in Miami from Mutual Network, and they were became friends with uh, with Larry or was on his show or whatever. But that then it became national with uh, Mutual mm-hmm. Mutual Network in the early days, and it grew to practically his own network after a while. That's right. The mutual broadcasting system, you bet. Yeah, that, they once yeah. claimed to be the largest network in, in the country. And I guess they were, according to the number of affiliates they had. Right. But they were the the affiliates, uh, were many of us were 250 waters, you know, around the country. So it kind of adds up when you start adding those together. When you signed a network contract, did you have to be the only network affiliate in a, in a community? How would you determine, how would those things set up? They uh, were set up by ratings later on. I was trying to think the mutual and that sort of thing was a, a barter arrangement where okay. you carried their commercials and they provided you with the news. And in some cases, you had to pay for the telephone line to get it to your your facility. And the uh, did ABC, NBC, CBS have the same deal, or would that? No, really, but they, very seldom were they in a, a tiny market like a 250 water, uh-huh. <clears throat> excuse me, um, because they would be in the, for example, you would be in Atlanta with one, if I was in Dalton, Georgia, it would be very difficult for me to get an NBC affiliation, mm. just use that as an example, because they, they covered the area, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they were after the big guys, and uh, Mutual was always, I thought, a wonderful deal, because it gave you national coverage and recognition and it was um, affordable you know it was yeah. either you paid for the line or you paid uh, or you traded their spots for airtime yeah. make good sense make yeah. good sense. I uh, I'm really feeling old though now that I, you talk about prices in 1942 and amazing and you're talking about uh, childhood jobs yeah, what was it? Twenty six hundred, Patricia. For uh, it's nineteen forty two salary. Uh, yeah, I think it was twenty four hundred. Hold on, 24. let me see. Walden always remembers. He's always right. Just a minute. <laughs> I think put it away. Can't be. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I put stuff away. Uh, notes. It's neat. I have a feeling she's so organized. She just refiles everything after she says it. Yeah, I know. It's true. Twenty four hundred. Uh huh. Well, I, 30 cents an hour. I'm sorry, how much an hour? Um, 30 cents an hour. Let me see how many hours that would come out to. Were people working Saturdays? I guess yeah, um, on the great Gildersleeve in the 1940s, he would talk about going to work on Saturday for half a day, and that was part of his normal work week. Right. How's yeah. that for interesting? Sounds familiar. <laughs> you, you, did, you did that a few times, huh, Nolan? Well, yeah. I, I, in fact, my childhood job was a radio station. Mm-hmm. I was 14 and uh, riding my bicycle to the station to, to file records, keep up the record library. Was that your first paying job? Yes. Uh-huh. And I, I never could earn a living in anything else. <laughs> There's something wrong here. Um, if the Oh, the minimum wage. I'm sorry. I was looking at the average salary and... I, I didn't read minimum wage. Minimum wage was 30 cents an hour, 
But in order to earn $2,400 a year at 30 cents an hour, you would have to work 153 hours a week. Now, considering we only get 168 in a week to work with, that doesn't leave a whole lot of room for cooking and eating and sleeping. <laughs> so, oh. um, I guess you had to be making a fair amount of money to, well, let's see, 2400 The average, how many, how many um, weeks off did people get? Did they actually get a vacation a week? I, I think, uh, well, I, I can only speak for the 50s. I don't know about 42, but uh, 50, mid-50s, it was a dollar an hour was minimum. What about um, vacation time? That, uh, I guess that varied from business to business, but I, I remember it being two weeks, I think, <clears throat> uh, out, of the, out of the 52. And the, the Saturday thing sounds very familiar. Uh, six hours or so on Saturday and uh, eight the rest of the week mm -hmm. for a 46-hour week. Or Yeah. Now this, it, this looks like when you say a dollar, a dollar of um, an hour would come out about right because if you divide the twenty four hundred dollars by fifty two weeks, it comes out to forty six dollars a week. And if they worked a half a day on Saturday, that would be a dollar an hour. That's, I, I never thought of it that way. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, that, and that this is average salary what, that they're talking about. So a dollar. An hour average salary in 1942. Whew. A car was about half of your annual salary. A car was $1,100 average. Mm, that's amazing, isn't it? Now this is interesting. That's 1942, so that's that has to be a used car. You could not buy a new car in 1942. Well, I was just thinking here. Look at the cost of buying a house. It was only. Less than three years of your salary. I don't. I think most people would kill for that today. Mm-hmm. To buy a house, less than three years of their salary. You're right. Yeah. Um, I have to find. Well, you know, when you buy milk at sixty cents a gallon and gasoline was nineteen cents per gallon. Thank you. Wish you could drink gasoline. Um, I'm going to have to look for additional things. When when we talk about a house being, let's say, $7,000, it was just shy of $7,000, the average house and then your average salary of 2400 a year, I need to know how much people paid for things like a suit of clothes. And if you sent your kids to school, how much did their shoes cost? to get a better handle on this. I mean, nine cents for a loaf of bread gives a snapshot, but it really doesn't give an overview of what people were dealing with. You know, today, they like to have people, about 40% of their salary go for mortgage payment. So, mm -hmm. if you look at, if they're earning, you know, 40% of 2400 which would be, you know, a grand, then that, you're looking at an $80 a month uh, mortgage payment. Basically. Amazing. A lot of dollars. Yeah. A lot of dollars. And, and even at 30%, um, which might have been closer, that's, that's interesting because until recently it was about 30% for housing costs. And even in apartment complexes, they would want you to uh, prove that you earned enough money that 30% 
uh, you could afford 30% or, or that your rent would not be more than 30% of your, uh, or less than. What am I trying to say? You had to, you had to be able to pay at least 30% of your salary would cover the, um, the cost of your rent. I always heard it was uh, one week's salary would cover the, had to, had to cover your rent. Uh-huh. That would, well, that would, that would be about 25% then. Personal budget, budgeting, it wasn't any kind of law or anything. Uh-huh. Do you know what a, uh, a Mustang, the famous Mustang, Ford Mustang cost in 1965? 1965, oh. a Ford Mustang. My aunt had one of those. $3,500. Right on the money. Wow. <laughs> no joke? Wow. Yeah. 3500 Don't you wish you had one today? Yeah, well, I, I, if I had it do over, I'd have several today. I'm going to throw in a little Corvette in there as well. Uh, you got a nice uh, investment there. Mm-hmm. I wonder what they go, because my aunt sold hers in the mid-70s. So those things probably just kept going up and up and up, those 65 Mustangs. Yeah, yeah. They were really kind of dangerous. They had the gas tank right back of the back seat. Mm. Ooh. And, uh, in fact, I think you were kind of sitting on the gas tank. So the rear-end collisions were fatal. They're very much so, yeah. Listen, didn't they do the same thing with the Corvairs? I don't know what, they had trouble staying on the road, I think. Uh, something about the front-wheel drive, were, were they not one of the first front-wheel drives? I think, I think they had uh, gas tank problems, too. Let's see what we got here. You guys keep talking, I'm out here in Google. The smallest, uh, the smaller the car, the bigger the gasoline tank problems would be. Yeah. Well, I would think, I was listening to, um, they were talking about it during the uh, Battle of Britain. And I guess you could tell a lot of the flyers from England because they had scars from their fa- on their face because the the tank, the, the gas was right on top of the, the lap. Oh. And so if, if they got shot down, the flame, and, you know, they would parachute and they go crash, their face would be scarred by the flames just because the way they designed it, the tank being crashed right on their laps, you know, right, right there at front. Well, the old A model, Ford A model and T model cars had the gas tank, right? In fact, the uh, opening for it was just in front of the windshield. Mm. So you, you practically got the same thing there. The mm-hmm. tank must have been right in your lap, certainly right in front of you. Well, this, this sounds like a lap problem, too. It says the location patented used on the Corvair, the 1961 rear-engine Corvair, carried a 14-gallon fuel tank aft of the front axle inside the frame rails, which means the passengers were sitting on top of the gas tank. Uh-huh. Does that sound right? Well, yeah, because it was a very small car. Yeah. Um, 14 gallons is a lot of gallons for a little car. Wow. And I, that um, brought that into focus. It was actually the first to have a rear engine instead of the front wheel drive. I was saying earlier, I don't think it, it that came out until much later. Yeah, so it, it sounds like they flipped everything. They put the engine in the back and and the gas tank in the middle. Hmm. Wow. Did, did people worry about gas mileage before the mid-70s? I mean, you don't, I mean, that's what I actually remember by, you know, by the first oil crisis in 74 is when people got concerned about how many miles a gallon you, you got. I don't, I bet there was never really a consideration uh, before that. I don't remember having any, it was just, if it was 
needed gas you just filled up. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it? But that, I went through that 74 thing and trying to find gasoline. It was it was a tough time. Yeah. Uh, and for you know just uh, us folks that just getting to work, the people that were working and uh-huh. made a living as truckers and that sort of thing. That's really well, terrible. That's why I always thought Frank Bushy was brilliant in '79. He went to his local gasoline station. Which, remember, this is when you started odds and evens. Remember, that's where we had to even our license plate to determine when to get the gas. Frank thought it was sort of ridiculous to stand in line. So he asked his buddy who ran the gas, how much would it talk, cost him to buy a tank, an underground tank. <laughs> and he quoted Frank a price, $5,000, which was almost would have to be about 30 cents a gallon. So Frank had his own gasoline area where he could get pull in and fill up a car and kick. And people thought he was crazy because after the gas shortage, he would still have his own tank wow. to fill up. Well, I've heard of a lot of things that indicated to me that he was a wise man. <laughs> I never heard of that one. <laughs> never heard of that one. <laughs> An awful lot of creative people out yeah. there, but that one's got to take the cake for tonight. Yeah. That's amazing. The time we had, uh, I had a small car, company car. I think I'm trying to think what it was. Maybe it was. No, I still had a Volkswagen that I brought from Germany, mm-hmm. and then we had a, a family station wagon. You know, the, the kids called it the family truckster. You know, from the uh, oh, the, the movies, uh, vacation movies. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I would keep the truckster full and siphon gas out of it to the, run in the Volkswagen. So that was my reserve tank. Was the uh, big car. Now, did you return home with a Volkswagen? Yeah, I sure did. And oh, wait, oh, did the military pay for the shipping on it? Uh, it was very reasonable for service people to, to ship them. I, I don't think it was much more than $100 and $150. Wow. I, because they just, you know, they had ships of that purpose. They were just stacked on there. Huh? And, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, I had the car and I got the job in Miami and I was going to work one morning after having a cold and I had taken some of that NyQuil which was oh, gee. <laughs> really new to the market you, 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 you know what's going to happen right it was a very warm morning uh, it was winter and the sun was really bright and uh, I had uh, called in and said I, I feel fine I may sound a little bad but I think I, I'll be okay and I, I went to sleep on the uh, the uh, expressway on into the town and a Falcon, you remember Ford Falcon? It was not much bigger than a Volkswagen, but the the guy, uh, I ran into him, or he hit me, and I ended up next to a, a telephone pole. And the officer that found that came to the accident scene had written me off as Dade County's next fatality because I looked so bad. But I, I had a small cut on my forehead, and it bled profusely onto a yellow dress shirt. And the combination of the two just made it look awful. And I, I wasn't hurt that badly, but I was—I certainly learned a lesson about cold medicine. Wow. There were certain parts of that that would put you to sleep. <clears throat> and a head cut yeah, is, no, the, uh, is the most profuse bleeding. Uh, you can you can cut yourself anywhere, but you cut the head, and the blood vessels are just so abundant there that you just bleed like, as you say, you know, you're going to write, write me off as a fatality, and it was a head cut. Yeah, yeah. And it was in the, the back, I remember, because they had to uh, shave a little spot there. Yeah. And I was okay. But um, I sure learned a lesson about cold medicine. Not a good thing. You read the labels, and if they say it makes you sleepy, believe them. 
Yeah, that's for sure. I made a believer out of me. Oh, boy. The upside of the story is that uh, the insurance company paid for the total car, and it it exceeded by three or four hundred dollars what I paid for it because I had imported it myself, so I broke even. I bought a new one for <laughs> Except for the emergency room costs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had insurance, thankfully. <laughs> I could subtract that. Oh, gee. Oh, Nolan, I'm so glad you're still with us. What a, ooh, gosh. That's the only wreck I've ever had, and it was uh, really an eye-opener. Uh, in a Volkswagen, though, I mean. Yeah. Well, it, the uh, the fellow that hit me never came to court. He would, uh, I was, of course, at fault, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he never came. No charges were filed or anything, so I had to go to driver's ed school or something for uh, two or three weeks. Maybe he had some NyQuil, too. I mean, maybe yeah, the, the thought was, after hearing his name, and not to, uh, I, I get so nervous when I start talking about something that involves somebody's race or their um, genealogy or something, but it, it was apparent that this guy was in the country illegally. He was Cuban. Ah, uh, okay. And the, the registration and everything didn't match up. And so if you're going to get hit by somebody, it's better that it be somebody that's not going to sue you, <laughs> I guess. Right, right. He was in more shape than you were. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. He drove away from me. He just uh, bumped me, and, and uh, the way I, it was described to me, I was so groggy I didn't remember. And I do remember that the, the uh, patrolman very nicely came into the uh, my hospital room with my lunch. It was on, in a bag on the front seat. <laughs> <laughs> I said, this hospital food may not be good, but it's not that bad. <laughs> right. Talk about your friendly police department. Wow. I think he was so relieved I was alive that he was here. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But it cost him a lot of paperwork if I had made it, I think. Maybe he was he was hoping you would offer him your lunch. Well, I certainly would, yeah, at that point. He could have the my car, what was left of it. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. They must have taken it off with a dustpan and... <laughs> it pushes against a, a, a power pole or a telephone pole or something, and I was there somewhere. But I, the first thing I remember is the patrolman with his foot on the side of the car pulling the door open. So, uh, you know, the little car probably, if it's a big car, they have to use the jaws of life to get the door open. But with the Volkswagen, he was able to <laughs> peel it off like he was opening a tin can. Yeah. <laughs> you know, popping. It's, it's like a pop top on a, on a soda. There you go. On a Pepsi, yeah. Oh, jeez, and you were the you were the prize inside. Oh, Nolan, <laughs> that is so scary in a Volkswagen to have that kind of an accident. I mean, whacking a pole—it's it's like, you know, you're driving a cardboard box with nothing in the front there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I I was trying to remember. If, I think it had seat belts in those those days. I know. They, somewhere around the fifties or sixties, they they started seat belts. Yeah, I don't I don't remember when. Seatbelts came in. I don't know. Well, maybe it helped that you weren't a Volkswagen, because, you know, those are probably pretty built cars, no one. Uh, yeah, they, I guess, considering how small they were mm-hmm. and everything, they, they were pretty substantial. Yeah. Unless you hit something in the front. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're just, uh, you just didn't have an awful lot of stuff around you to, to keep you safe from a larger car. I guess it was good that it was a Falcon, huh? Uh, yes, that's right, because it wasn't much, much bigger. But, you know, in, in, when we drive in Germany, there was no speed limit. And you uh, would yield to a person. On the Audubon, yeah. 
that was the only if a Mercedes pulled up behind you, you'd give them the road. You know, you pull over and let them pass. But I have gotten into, into uh, confrontations with Volkswagens who thought they were peppier than mine, and that's when you get in trouble. Mm. Start racing, you know. Yeah, yeah. What is the fastest you've ever driven on the Autobahn? Um. Well, let's see. I think the the, the Volkswagen topped out at 85. So I, I guess I did that. Uh, I don't think it would go much faster than that. Yeah. When my when we were in uh, making my uncle, he was hit a NATO, and we were hitting the autobahn. We were hitting 130. Wow. Yeah. But they had. But all... you hit something at 130, and you're having a near-death experience for real. Well, he, he was hitting an armored car. Yeah, but still. I know. Somebody would cheer <laughs> me. Those guys yeah. who, who drive professionally for the military. They go through nine months of driving school. Uh, three months speed, three months terrorist, and three months defense driving. So those are those guys are professional drivers that you know that drive the generals and things like that. So they pretty much know what they're doing. Hopefully. Interesting rules, rules or laws. I, I saw I witnessed an accident one day. Well, not your conventional kind of accident, but a fellow was opening the door on his car and. The, this uh, car coming in the opposite direction. Well, this, let's see, yeah, the same direction. But he was parked, and the guy came by him on the street, but caught the door on his bumper and just peeled it back. And uh, I saw the officer come up and talk to the fellow that hit the door. He didn't have any damage, and he gave the ticket to the guy that opened the door. Yeah, I know in Japan, the same rule, because they asked my uncle not to drive with the, Jap with the military drive him. Because Japanese law, if you were if if you were if you were the car that pulled in the middle and stopped, and somebody come and hit you, it was your fault because you were you were there. It was not the one that hit you. So, because a, a political uh, political conference political consideration, they just never wanted anybody uh, who had some you know rank be driving their own cars in Japan. I think the rule about opening a car door into traffic is pretty universal. That's the person who winds up with the ticket. Is that? I, I didn't know that at the time. Uh, um, opening a door into traffic. Uh, if, if you open the door into traffic, it's your responsibility to make sure nothing's coming. And if you don't, you get the ticket. Actually, I, that was new to me, and I, I thought maybe that was a European thing. Um, but that, that's good. There's one thing that was very unusual. You could get... I don't know how this originated, but if you were in traffic and somebody cut you off and you were angry at them and you tapped your temple with your index finger, you know, like somebody would say crazy, yeah, you could really get in a lot of trouble for making that gesture. No kidding. Were there any scars from World War II in Germany by the time you were in in 63, 64? Did you could see any of the ruins or pretty much by then... Germany were pretty much all cleaned up from 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 war from the war. Well, there were a lot of men in wheelchairs. Mm. Uh, because this is only 20 years later. Yeah. And uh, but they treated. I was at least I think it was pretty much the attitude of the anywhere you went, you were treated like royalty. Mm -hmm. American soldiers were by German uh, citizens. Wow. It was just it was really really nice. Uh, they felt that way and, and uh, expressed it in many ways. When JFK was assassinated, the network didn't 
compound or base mm-hmm. in the in the town, mm-hmm. and uh, they they put out a, a book like you would at anyone's funeral uh, service, and it, they just hundreds of people came through in line to sign the the book and leave flowers and things like that. It was very touching. It was it happened a little bit before I got there, but <clears throat> it was still fresh on the minds of people that were serving there. But it was a wonderful experience to to uh, be stationed there. When you had a time of crisis like that, was there a rule of thumb that you would get plugged into the American network? So how would you guys, what, what, what was the protocol if there was going to be a crisis in the state and, you know, you, you, were, you were the uh, the voice in Europe? What, well, it, it was, um, to get network coverage, it was, of course, shortwave in those days yeah. and the Atlantic Cable. Um, is that what it's called, the Atlantic Cable? Transatlantic Cable. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Actually, a wires that ran under the ocean to the to Europe mm-hmm. and those had to be reserved and they were very expensive I don't know where my voice is going but it's not going good <laughs> um, also, they also had the wire services uh, for for coverage and it was um, somewhere if I can locate it I have it's probably in a footlocker somewhere I have a recording of the coverage of the day of the assassination on AFN Mm. <laughs> and I'll get that to you if I can locate it. Okay. You might like to have that. I, I would. I'd like to see how how, they, uh, how we handled it. Yeah, it was all, of course, it was all upside down because of the time difference. Yeah. And um, when it's when it's 7 o'clock in the morning over here, it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon over there. Right. That's true. Hmm. I'm going to... Sip of iced tea here trying to get my voice back, but it's not working. You're allowed to do that. You sound a whole lot better than you did a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Better than last week, too. I had a bug then, that's for sure. My goodness, the bugs that were going around this year, I didn't feel so terrible. Um, But maybe for a day or two, I, I really felt miserable. But my goodness, what it did to my voice, it did to yours, too. Yeah, it really did. That, um... It hung on for quite a while, but uh, I'm over it. I, I don't know what this is. I think I've just talked too much today. Oh, it's just because you're with adorable and lovable. You just got all excited. I know. That's, that's true. Irascible can't com- compete with all that niceness. <laughs> hey, you got a cavity talking to you guys. You're so sweet. Oh, <laughs> what a nice thing to say, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Learn, no, learn to walk in his sleep sack. I'm so proud. Oh my goodness! I just I get I have told more people that story, well, and they get but, they get as much of a kick out of it as I did. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is that he can you know a little sleep sack is like sleeping bag for babies mm-hmm. or infants. He can walk in his sleep sack. He just takes shorter steps. <laughs> he got out of the bed and was walking across the room. And if you can imagine, it's like a, a sack race. Yeah. And he, he was walking across, just taking shorter steps, and had the, uh, the the sleep sack or sleeping bag still on. Wow. <laughs> Proud, he's, he's so coordinated. You you really do have sleeping bag and sleep sack stories to tell. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know why. But Your field of expertise. I, uh, the uh, younger brother is a little bit behind in his sleep sack walking, but he'll catch up. They're twins, you know. Yes. 
Yes, yes, you had a, a double bundle. That's right. You had you you go by twosies. There you are. But we're not going to be threesies because we unexpectedly are having the next one. I have to tell you something about stamps on the envelopes. Huh? Last week, I haven't checked my mailbox in, in this week, so I'm in trouble if somebody's mailed me something. I got two envelopes with uncanceled stamps on them. Uh-huh. You know, the puffy ones? The, like, like <laughs> we've been disintegrating back and forth? Yeah. They, Same and, kind, and the stamps are, are not postmarked. That's a clue. Maybe the puffy ones are the ones that do that. Maybe. Those are, well, they do have to be done by hand. They don't go through a machine. Uh-huh. So <laughs> it's an indication of why the post office has to raise their rates, I guess. I guess so. Well, I had a uh, DJ that would save those stamps for a year, anything that came in uncanceled. Uh-huh. He asked the bookkeeper to save them for him. And he would have, have a year's worth of those things piled up and made, made quite a quite a bit of money when you think about it. I imagine so. I mean, these are coming in four and six at a time. In return, by the way, you've got the envelope, so you're going to have to find something to put in it. I was going to hold off during the Christmas rush because I was afraid it might get lost, but I... (laughs) Well, it surely wouldn't have gotten stamped, that's for sure. (laughs) I'll get to... uh, I have some Christmas music in mind, and I'll get it to you before July. Okay, that sounds good. I'm planning... I have some things set aside for Christmas in July already. Okay. Cool. Oh, I better go before my voice goes completely, but... uh, Okay. You guys have a good morning, and we we will talk to you soon. All right. Maybe next week you'll have some bloopers for us. Yes, maybe so. I I, I just woke up, I heard you talking about 1942, and you caught my interest. There you go. And happy birthday. I'm sorry we missed it. I did not know that, that your birthday was this week. Well, it's usually listed with Howard Stern and all those guys. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I just, I feel so bad. I feel better. I, I feel better that you're sharing the day with Howard Stern. Yeah, well. Th- th- it's terrible work, but some of us have to do it, you know? There you go. <laughs> Talk to you soon. All right, Nolan. Too much fun. Thanks, Nolan. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 714-545-2071. There we go. We are not going to get an answer about Fibber McGee and Molly, which breaks my heart. I know. Well, you know what we could do? Is do a running gag. To keep, we can keep asking no questions at the top of the show until anybody figure it out. Oh, I heard that show six weeks ago. Cool. Okay, yeah. we could do that. Yeah. I'll, I'll just transfer that over to next week's file. That would be good. Now, let me see. What else do we have here? Oh, that was the gas tanks. We don't want the gas tanks. Am I sure I want to close this? Why would I not want to close this? Hmm. Why don't we play a, a little song while we uh, while Patricia figure out what she's going to stump us with? So, oh. Here we go. I'm ready? not going to stump you with anything. I've I know. got some information. Sure, play a song. Yeah. What are we playing? Oh, something with Doris Day. So we'll be right back. Day by day I'm falling more in love with you 
day by day my love seems to grow there isn't any end to my devotion it's deeper dear by far than any certainly being been nice having you folks here, Mrs. McGee. <laughs> well, it's, it's been nice being here, Mr. Gildersleeve, and meeting Marjorie and little Leroy and Leela and all. I think Leela's going to make you very happy. Yeah, Throcky, she seems like a mighty nice gal. Well, I'm glad you both liked her. Well, goodbye, old chum. Thanks for the use of the den. Oh, yes, I hope you were very comfortable there. Oh, it was fine, but there's just one thing I'd suggest, Throcky. Huh? If you go to take a shower there, be careful. Why? You might cut your feet on my lawnmower. Oh! <laughs> Leroy! Good night. Good night, all. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> and Molly appeared on this program to the courtesy of the makers of Johnson's Wax. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy Mills. This is Ken Carpenter speaking for the makers of Kraft Cheese and inviting you to listen in again next week for the further adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. Six o'clock, Mother's late. That means the family will have to wait for dinner. But they won't wait long if Mother's smart and knows the seven-minute way to make macaroni and cheese. The trick is performed with a product called Kraft Dinner. Yes, folks, that amazing food product called Kraft Dinner gives you delicious macaroni and cheese in just seven minutes cooking time. A package of Kraft Dinner contains a special kind of macaroni that cooks up fluffy and tender extra fast. And the Kraft Dinner package also holds some Kraft Grated. This craft grated, sprinkled through and through the macaroni, gives it good cheese flavor in a twinkling. No time used up preparing a cheese sauce or baking the macaroni either. Keep craft dinner handy for luncheon or dinner emergencies. And folks, you can help your dealer with this problem of keeping in stock by ordering craft dinner early in the week. This program reached you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Good night, everybody. We love you very much. Kraft presents... your pretty balloon and taken the moon away. It 
Just make your mind up. The piper must be paid. The party's over. The candles flicker and dim. You danced and dreamed through the night. It seemed to be right just being with him. Now you must wake up. All dreams must end. Take off your makeup. The party. And thrill me anymore. Faraway trips, seagoing ships, not half as thrilling as touching your lips. Nothing that can quite fulfill me anymore. Broadway shows, evening clothes, you have more glamour than any of Once I used to dream. Fourth of July, 
for you because it is a great Gildersleeve show from January 10th, 1943, mm-hmm. The McGee's Visit. Deborah McGee and Molly go to visit 